Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast, a collection of conversations with cool people who do cool things. Brought to you by Papercraft Miracles. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring stories of persistence, passion, and purpose. With your host, Jonna Willoughby-Lore. Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast. I am your host, John Willoughby-Lore, and this week my guest is George Hardwick. So in the addition to being an author of Creative Uprising, which is a book uh, about all how creative people can make a living uh, and make a difference doing what they love, which obviously for anyone who knows me is like, that is my jam. So like, ooh, match made in podcasty heaven right here. Um, but he is also a performance poet and inspirational speaker all around geek for all the things of how we can be happier and healthier and more fulfilled as people and is generally creating a better world for all of us out there in uh, in the world. So welcome to the show, George. You want to tell everyone a little bit more about you and, and your story? Absolutely. Um, I guess I'm pondering where, like for those for those who are listening, where like the I, I don't know if you're anything like me, there's a there's a few kind of strings to your bow. So trying to trying to work out which of those strings to share um, to get the most bang for my buck for your listeners. Um, but I guess if we start with the piece around um, how to make a living and make a difference doing what you love, you know, that's the, that's, uh, that's the thing that struck me as well in your story is, you know, the persistence you've shown and like this, the, the gift that you found in your life from having something that lights you up, you are able to then like, take this thing and create something of beauty that lights other people up. Like, yes. I don't know if there's anything more incredible than that. Um, so for me personally, what that's looked like is um, ever since age of about nine, uh, I would uh, write poetry. And I remember very early on, one of my teachers, we had a kind of poetry reading competition at school. And I wrote my own poem for the competition, read it, and the teachers thought I'd plagiarized it because they couldn't believe that I'd written this poem for myself. Um, so I do kind of, I'm, I'm a big fan of nurture, hence like I love geeking out about how can we be more. Um, and I'm also, you know, particularly recently, I've, I've come to the sense that there is some nature aspect as well as like, we arrive for me, we arrive on this planet with some kind of soul gifts. And mm. can we you know, find that alignment between our soul gifts and then nurture those into something that can be valuable to others. So that's really a, a big piece. I, yeah, if I was really honest, that's probably the core piece. And then so much of the other things that I'm passionate about and do all feed into how can we do that thing? How can we find what our soul gifts are, align with them, and then nurture them so that they can be of value and can kind of get us paid and, and make a difference in the world. So that's, uh, that's I guess, a in essence, where I'm at right now is how can how can I really support that? And I get to do that each day in my current quote unquote day job and the other stuff I do outside of that. So cool. It's so cool. So um, for those of you who listen to this show all the time, I'm pretty sure that like George is like me uh, in another dimension. Like, <laughs> like, like we just have so many of the same uh, interests and, and traits and, and qualities and passion for the world. And it's just so interesting to like randomly find someone who it's like so similar to you who lives on the other side of the world. It's cool. Um, 
Mate, I, I heard uh, some of your music as well. I was like, this is like, this is the, 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 like the lyrics you were putting down. I was like, yes, like, yes. Um, so I, I feel like later we should definitely have some kind of not poet off. That would in it, that would suggest some kind of competition. Like, I'd more oh, no, like just, just to cipher. I'm all about, I'm all about a, a, a podcast poet cipher. I'm all about yes, it. Yes. So fun. Um, so another thing that we, um, that we have been chatting about, um, which is kind of what this, we're, we're working on a series for the podcast right now. Um, of several episodes in a row that talk about generational trauma mm-hmm. and um, and how people are just so affected by things that happen to them as children and things that happen to their parents and things like that. So uh, we're going to tie some of that into our discussion today mm-hmm. as well. So um, I'm curious to know, like, what has your COVID experience been and how is it like... Mm-hmm changed your perspective and and your lifestyle and and whatnot it's a good question um i actually started a new role in the middle of covid so uh you know i'm uh, i am my kind of my title sounds fairly fancy um i'm a senior talent coach for startups enterprise and freelance at uh, falmouth university which is uh one of the uk's like major arts universities um doing some really super, super cool, exciting stuff. Um, they have a games academy, so we've got like a really renowned video game development area. And we've got a really awesome kind of school of entrepreneurship with um, a kind of startup incubator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and when you bring all of those elements together, like we're a leading arts university and we've got this kind of, this games and tech aspect and this entrepreneurial aspect, some really cool and exciting stuff happening there. Um, and they have a very kind of inspiring vision for what they want to be doing uh, in 10 years time. And that's something that I live here. I'm, you know, my the university is 20 minutes from my house. Like I, I really, I'm, I'm really bought into it. So, and I started this role in the middle of COVID. So I, I've, I've actually been on campus maybe five times in the, what, what are we now? Like I started in April. So we, we're kind of, we're coming up on a good, like three quarters of a year. I've been in the role now. And um, yeah, I've been on campus maybe five times, uh, delivered one in-person session with some students it was like honestly I really struggled um like I struggle with masks full stop anyway because like I put them on and like my health is not good so um like that's been a journey for me as well is actually being okay with not wearing a mask in a country where everyone's wearing masks um and kind of that experience of standing up for my own health um even at the same time as like going am I like is this okay? You know what I mean? So that's been a real journey in and of itself, a personal one. Delivering a session to a room full of students wearing masks, that like, was like, there was a bit heartbreaking. Like there was like, there genuinely, there's been a lot of emotion to be processed. And uh, I'm sure we'll get to that, you know, later on in the, in the, in the episode. Um, that was perhaps the biggest thing for me was like that firsthand experience of just how heartbreaking it can be to like, how dehumanizing to literally cover this piece of someone's face. Like, like from if there feels like from our very deepest ancestry we develop these tribal bonds by being able to read facial cues and so for that to be removed like there's something that just really like struck right to the heart of things uh there for me um so and I, I got to start an awesome job where I get to show up and do the things I love and be of real value um so that's been amazing in that in that aspect and it's also come with some of its own challenges for sure. Yeah, it's it's been really strange for me as a parent to think about all of this stuff, dealing with generational trauma and then thinking about how 
my, my kids are small right now. They're five and three. And so like, for the most part, once they're adults, like the one thing I think that's going to be really big and memorable from their childhoods is that they, they lived through this year, two years, whatever, where the world is covered in masks and everything is crazy and everything is closed and they're just home all the time. And um, this week actually marks my, my oldest is going back to school in the school building two days a week this mm. week. Um, and it's just, it's crazy for me to think that my five-year-old is going to be like sitting in his classroom, wearing a mask all day, six feet away from his friends. And, yeah. um, it's going to be good for him, I think, to be able to be around other kids. That's not his younger brother all the time. And like, I think he just mentally needs that. Um, but it's, you know, it's terrifying as a parent to think like which of these two, things is going to be worse for them, like them potentially getting sick or them like mentally, like not interacting with other people in the world. And it's, it's, it's definitely a struggle to decide which, which thing is the right decision. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. He needs to get the hell out of the house. <laughs> he's going crazy. Our yeah, house yeah. is going to get destroyed if he doesn't get out of here, at least yeah, a couple days so a week. You can, you can keep him in like, but like for my kids, so mine are seven and five. And like we saw that first returned to school after the first lockdown here in the UK um, with the introduction of bubbles and uh, you know all of this stuff and like only able to kind of interact with their immediate class and things um, I remember seeing uh, like across three separate days at the gates of the school like kids in floods of tears um, and each seemed to have a different reason for those tears and it just like that intuitive sense of no, like these kids their cup is just full up like they're like they're, they're massively confused, massively kind of like overstressed, um, and you know it's just expressing itself in different ways. But what is happening is like literally their their cup is so full that the water is coming out of their like their their of their eyes. You know, it's a yeah. And again, that was that was tough to see as well for my daughter, like just not comprehending why she couldn't play with like her friends who were in the lower years in the school or whatever. You know, it's a um, yeah, real tough one, real tough one. Yeah, I guess in some ways it's it'll be a little bit easier for my son because he started a new school this year. So right. he's actually never been inside the building before. Yeah. So like all he'll know about going to the school is this, and that'll be the normal. And when he doesn't have to wear a mask, he'll be like, Oh, this is even better than it was. Um, but I think just, just being able to, to have outdoor resets, you know, whenever it's a couple days a week playing on the playground with other kids and like it, that he'll be able to do that. And yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he just, he needs it, man. He's driving us crazy. <laughs> like, I'm hopeful in terms of this kind of conversation around kind of the, the trauma piece, like undoubtedly, like it is leaving a massive mark. Um, my hope is actually like that our younger generation, like their kids, particularly like I was like five, three, you know, five and three, minor five and seven. Like, I look back, I can't remember too much from when I was five. Like, you know, I really can't. So my hope is that whilst it may, it may leave some, may leave an impact. I feel like the ones it's really going to impact are those who like their lives have really been kind of turned upside down by it. Um, yeah. Like the high school seniors who like didn't get to yeah. have senior year and then are now they're like starting virtual college at a new college yeah. and don't get to meet any new people. And yeah, that's definitely, that's a life changer right yeah, there. Absolutely. That, that's, that's, that's the piece for me that feels like 
I feel like my kids, they 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 remember it distantly and they may, it may, they may have some challenges around kind of forming, you know, authentic bonds and things like that because there's this, this human disconnection has happened. They've, you know, they've had to endure a year of profound human disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, hopefully they're still young enough for that to be like the, the it's more like a line in the sand rather than like a line on in, in granite. You know what I mean? Whereas I think for others, the, the, the kind of, it will have cut much deep. Um, that's, that's my sense. Yeah, I've definitely, you know, when the pandemic first started, I remember thinking to myself, like, is this going to be the thing that in five years we look back and be like, oh, remember 2020? That fucking sucked. Or is it going to be like uh, that this is just our life now (laughs) of like a world that is full of pandemics of different proportions and like you know this is the beginning of general upheaval where life is just you never know what my crazy crap might happen and you know obviously we're not going back to any kind of normal normal um and there are definitely some massive changes and benefits that i am seeing from this i mean obviously there are many many people especially here in the states who have been told for so many years that they couldn't work a regular job from home if they were disabled or there was, you know, they had some kind of reason why they couldn't work in an office building or something like that. And now obviously, you know, these huge corporations all over the world have converted their entire workforce to work virtually in a couple of days. So they, you know, there's no valid reason why all of those people who were told that they wouldn't be able to do jobs from home. Of course they could do jobs from home and now they have no reason to tell people no. So I think that we'll be able to, to get a lot more people gainfully employed doing things um, instead of just sitting around on disability. Um, So I think that that is going to be a huge shift, obviously, especially here in the States, there's a (laughs) insane problematical things going on with our government, which hopefully is getting you know, at least somewhat sorted out now that we have adults in control again. Um, but there's just so many glaring problematical things with our healthcare system and, uh, you know, just our me first, gimme, gimme lifestyle that we have here in the States. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just becoming so glaringly obvious that, um, being so selfish in the way that we live in the world is not going to work for us. And, you know, I think that, you know, obviously the, the future is is co- corporations and companies that put people over profits. Like it's just, it's mm-hmm. going to have to happen. And I, I, you know, what better launching pad than, you know, to make it have to happen. Um, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. There's, there's, a, you definitely feel like, or I, I definitely feel like COVID did a few things. One, it was almost like an accelerant of things that were unfolding anyway. Like the so I know the university, like the university where I work, um, was intending to like shift towards a blended education model, which is like online learning and in-person learning. And long term, the vision is to have more students online around the world. So like they're they're literally a purely online education provider to students all around the world. Uh, and suddenly, and that's you know that was like a ten-year plan. And suddenly, like you say, in the space of ten days, all oh, right, we're now fully online, you know, educational establishment. So um, there's been. And, and also for me, in, in our conversation around um, how do you kind of turn your creativity into a career that's something that's so dear to both of our hearts, the capacity for working from home and therefore also being able to choose your own hours um, and therefore have, you know, your side hustle 
that you're kind of you're bringing up and get, hopefully getting it to the level of full hustle, right? Um, the, the the amount of flexibility and the capacity to earn a good wage, doing something that's actually you know from home where you're choosing. Right, that I see so, like a real flowering of creativity <clears throat> possible, um, and that's really exciting as well. The other the other piece that's really interesting in this is the you, you mentioned the word now we have adults in charge, um, and I, you know this isn't for me a conversation about left or right or any of that. It's actually like, I'd, I'd really question whether anyone in our current political class is an adult mm-hmm. um, because we, particularly in the West, we don't have a culture of initiation anymore, um, uh, which, which is those kind of time honored processes of welcoming young men and women into kind of full adulthood. So in films like 300, um, I'm trying to think of other ones, like Avatar, there will be, you know, in these in these depictions of tribal cultures, um, there will be uh, initiation processes. And we don't have those. So what happens, particularly a lot of the work I've done in, in this realm is with young men, um, particularly in an urban environment, young men will therefore seek out um, street gangs. Because what happens in a street gang, you get initiated into the gang. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is a kind of expression of our kind of like again our, our deep memory of how we've lived for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, we therefore and you know this isn't just kind of my opinion. This is borne out by people far smarter who've done the, the work. Right? Um, we have particularly in the West generations who are stuck in a kind of extended adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and the orange man is obviously a kind of like an you know, absolute emblem of that kind of you know adolescent in a man's body. Yeah, um, exactly. And yet, I feel like we all, that's also the case for just that, that kind of almost our current political class as a whole. That those who seem to rise to the top are those who can most effectively play a game. Um, but it's a, it, like it's not it's it's a, it's almost like a finite game. There's some really interesting work being done around kind of finite and infinite games at the moment. Um, and there's something about those qualities that we most need, like the current political system almost deselects, like it self-deselects, whereas it most self-selects for actually psychopathy, immaturity, like ego, you know, self-serving traits, mm-hmm. um, which are the th- very things we like we don't we like we actually actively don't need. Um, so there's a really interesting, and the piece here that's connected to COVID is that one of the roles of initiation work is to help us, to support us, to own our shadows, to integrate (laughs) our darkness. And, uh, you know, I spoke about COVID being an accelerant. And that's also for me, hugely what COVID has been is it's, it's been an accelerant in bringing up to the surface so many of our hidden shadows. Like you just look at relationships, like so many couples forced to live 24 hours a day in the, under the same roof together. Like, and suddenly they're either, really deepening into like how do we make this relationship work now that we are literally seeing all of our all of our stuff come to the surface and be right there in our face um some of those old buried suppressed emotions and things like all of this stuff coming to the surface how do we make this work um and so i would guess it's led to either a deepening of some relationships a really powerful like new level of intimacy or for some like it's caused a a permanent fracture um and I've even seen that playing out on a kind of personal level. You know, some dear friends recently committed suicide. You know, that's because there's something that, like it's brought so much up to the surface that for some that pain was too great to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because there's been no held 
initiation process. It's, this has been a forced initiation. Whereas um, typically, like, you know, initiations would have been a held process where the elders would hold that process through a sacred container. And we haven't had that. We've literally been chucked in the deep end. Good luck, swim or sink. Um, yeah. So that's, that's you know, I, I think we're still, we're going to see the consequences of that playing out over the next few years. Um, so I'd, be sure. like, I'd love to get your thoughts, your your take on on some of those perspectives that, that I've shared there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that there there are no um, rites of passage for any of the Western countries. <laughs> like, just, there isn't. They're like, oh, you graduated high school? If you managed to do that, see ya. You're a grown-up now. You can yeah. vote, whatever. Um and, you know, a lot of times people would say, like, the rite of passage is going away to college or, uh, you know, here anyway, at, at 21, like, oh, you can drink booze now. You should be a grown up. Mm. But like, you know, if you don't let it, even just on the smallest scale that if like you send your kids to college and they've never tried booze until they're 21 and then they like do stupid crap and, you know, go and join a fraternity and then like die of alcohol poisoning on like the second day of school. Or whatever. I mean, just like just the things like that are allowed to happen that like kids are allowed to go to college and don't know how to do laundry or, you know, like they there there are no real life preparatory classes that yeah. any kids need to take before they are out on their own. And, you know, even just general things like how to file taxes and how to balance a checking account and how to set up your file cabinet in your house to keep track of your important stuff. You know, like, I mean, I had someone who was babysitting my kids a couple years ago and I, I went to pay her with a check and she looked at me like, what do I do with this? Mm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, I get that things are real digital, but like you should at least know like what a check is and how to take it to the bank and how to deposit it on your phone. Or I mean, at least like knowing that, that, is got to be some kind of requirement in order mm -hmm. to function as an adult in society. So I yeah. think we need to get back to um, incorporating learning like that and yes. into, yes. you know, high school, at least like some kind of thing, if we can't have, you know, obviously like different religions and different cultures have different rites of passages, but I think because, you know, Western cultures are not entirely revolving around you know, that type of the cultural aspect as a whole, I think people need, you know, at least something in school, like, you know, at least adulting 101 <laughs> before they end up graduating high school and having no clue. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, you know, in my previous role, I used to do quite a bit of work with, um, I'm not sure what age, what age is like 15, 16 in US kind of school terms? Are you heading to high school then? What's it? Uh, 15, 16 is like halfway through high school. Okay, cool. So um, here in yeah, the UK, you typically have, you do some, you do what are called your GCSEs, which is like, that's your first lot of major exams before you then go and spend two years in some kind of college, um, which um, college here, that's not university. It's more like a kind of high, senior high school, basically. Um, and doing a lot of work with those kind of, you know, 16 year olds, you'd be surprised how many of them are like, I wish I'd learned something about taxes or, you know, about all of those, you know, yeah, these just these fundamentals of being an adult. Um, and actually they're crying out for it. So that's the thing. It's not that um, like they think it's boring or anything like that. There's something where there's, they're actually crying out for it. And I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There's some, even if we don't, and that, the great thing for me is that some of these rites of passage processes are being remembered. 
um, and are being brought into the kind of modern context. Like it's, it's really wonderful to see. And you're right, for the vast majority, they might not come across that. So how can we support, like, you know, you use the word adulting there, and it's like some people laugh about it on Instagram or whatever, oh, adulting, oh, it's so tough or whatever. But yeah, actually it is tough. Like you talk about organising your filing cabinet. I still find that really hard. Like there's some bits I'm really good at with adulting and there's some bits I'm really poor at. And and so how can we, how can we model that? So listen, like even me, 38, whatever, like this stuff's still hard. So let's start now. Like let's actually, and let's lean into that. And for me, like it's a, it's a great gift to be real with like young people in that way. And I've been doing it with some of my students. In fact, recently I even ran a session, I think we did about an hour session on like, I called it adulting in the 21st century and just laid out a series of principles of like, in the 21st century, here is what's gonna be expected as an adult. Here's some of the things I'm really good at. Yep, here's some things I'm terrible at. Let's talk about this, right? So it's mm-hmm. there's a, it's really wonderful to hear you say that like this is needed because like it's not just my experience then. Like I'm oh, seeing- totally. Yeah, and it's it's part of what um, got me interested in this general generational trauma topic in the first place um, is reflecting on the way that I was raised and how differently it was, uh, how different my my upbringing was from pretty much anyone else that I know because my family structure was just so weird, um, and I started thinking about that a lot because like you were saying earlier, there's a lot of couples that have been like struggling with stuff, and my husband and I are the same. I mean, it's been He's very, very introverted and the way that he was raised, you know, he, he kind of checks all the boxes for the way he was raised as to what is quote unquote normal. Like his parents are married to each other. They have been together since they were 19 and 20. They're still married now. They're both alive. All their kids belong to just the two of them. Like, you know, it, it, they, it, you know, if you open the textbook to like the modern American family, like that, they fit that, you know, like the mom stays home with the kids, the dad goes to work like that. That's what he grew up in. And both my parents were married to other people when I was born. So I was like this oops baby in the middle of like two divorces where there were kids already in each of these marriages. And um, I, from the minute I was born, had my birth mother and I had two dads, the guy who she had been married to, who legally they were still married. So he was my dad, Uh, you know, like on my birth certificate, he's my dad, but he knows he's not my dad. And then my Mm -hmm. biological dad was also there. And he, but everybody got divorced and both of my dads then got remarried. So my whole childhood, I had my mother, two dads and two stepmothers. So I had five adults who had all been divorced at least once. I had seven brothers and sisters who were not related to each other, but only to me. Um, and I got to be the baby at one house. I was the middle child at another house and I was the oldest kid at the other house. And I got to kind of like, cycle around um to from house to house and i got to learn how all these different people's relationships worked or didn't work and there was different rules at every house and i learned about how different households were run and i learned different skills from all these adults that i was around all the time um and i also learned how to be really adaptive to whatever situation came up and it helped me to use my creative brain to like figure out how to fit in and to remember that oh at this house you're allowed to do this but you can't do that at this house but at that house these are the rules and so I got to kind of figure out how different relationships worked and didn't work as a kid but I also you know on top of all that had 
five different adults worth of their life trauma affecting the things that I learned. So yeah, I learned how to, you know, balance a checkbook and make files from my one stepmom because she was really, and learned how to clean a house and all these like really useful things to need to learn how to do. And she taught me all those things, uh, how to build my credit, like all these things that she, she taught me how to do. Um, and then my, my mother taught me so much about living this rich emotional life, but she sucked at adulting. And that's like the main thing that really got me into this generational trauma, um, was she passed away when I was 20 years old. So next year is, um, more years without her than with her in my life. And being, you know, at 20 years old, I inherited her house. So talk about like rite of passage. My brother and I inherited a home that was falling apart while I was going to college a thousand miles away. And I, we were trying to figure out how to keep this house together. And we were instantaneously, we were fun, you know, college kids that were having fun. And then all of a sudden, oh crap, we're adults. And we have all this responsibility. And like, I've never had to pay rent, but I've owned a home for 20 years and things like that. And, you know, I had to learn on the fly real quick how to be an adult. And I recently, my, my legal dad gave me this box of letters from my mom that she sent to him during a tumultuous time in their marriage when she moved across the country and lived with another guy. And I knew that she had lived in in California, but I didn't know like any of the backstory or the circumstances or that it was while they were married or any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And now I have this box of letters of my mom's perspective of her being, you know, in her mid twenties, trying to figure out her place in the world as a woman and how she wanted to learn how to take care of herself. And she didn't want to be reliant on a man. Cause it was in the, in the mid seventies when it was like a new thing for women to not have to be married. And, and she was already like in that life. And it was just really difficult for me to read those and try to process that she was trying to figure out how to be an adult at 26 and there was all things that she still struggled with learning how to do when she died at 54 mm-hmm. where i mean at 15 i knew more about being an adult and i took care of her because she wasn't good at paying her bills on time or managing her money or getting a full-time job or any of that but you know she was so good at interacting with people that when she died there were 300 people at her funeral you know mm-hmm. like yeah. so it's it's weird that i you know had i not been born into that situation, I don't think I would be nearly as good at adulting. Like none, none of my siblings are as good at adulting as they say that I am because they, they had their parents, but I had everybody as my parent. So I think it, it can kind of informs a lot about life experience when I, I got to live three lives already. And during COVID, it's been really difficult for me um, being married to my husband. It's our first both of us, it's our first marriage. We've been married. Um, this will be 10 years this year. We've been together for 12 years. And mm-hmm. it's this is like the longest time of my life where I am around the same family all the time. And I'm learning that growing up, going from one house to the next house to the next house where I, nobody was totally reliant on me and vice versa. Cause I wasn't there all the time. And it's, it's something that I struggle with as an adult is 
being in one place with one family all the time without wanting to like run away to some other house with different people. Um, and my husband like, he didn't grow up the way I did. So it doesn't make sense to him why I would be like, I need to bail for like a day I need, or a couple days. Like I need to go stay somewhere else and not like be a parent for a couple days. And he yeah, doesn't yeah. get that. And I'm like, but I need it, you know? So it's been, it's been interesting to like learn those things about myself. Huh. And it, so in what you just described there, it's such a beautiful, like uh, uh, articulation of of this kind of nature nurture thing, like 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 your husband was nurtured in his like solid here is the family in this four walls. This is the family. So like he like he put down deep roots into that reality. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas for yourself, it was obviously like going between these houses. Like your you, what you rooted into was the reality of. Uh, you know, you, you kind of come and go and you flow between families. And it's a, you know, the definition of family for you is a vastly expanded idea. Um, mm -hmm. And so that actually shapes you to uh, shapes you to the point where, like, like you say, you need to get out and just not be in this rooted four wall environment um, sometimes. And uh, like, how has that been for your husband to kind of, if, if you're okay sharing that, I'm really fascinated to know, like how you've navigated that because like, and I asked because, an adolescent response would be to feel abandoned and hurt and like that. Whereas a kind of mature response would be to go, oh, okay, actually I, I get that. Like I really understand that. And to, and I wonder what's the journey been to with that, with that kind of dynamics. It has been difficult, especially cause he, um, you know, his family structure was very solid, but there wasn't a whole lot, like neither of his parents has, a really vast emotional language, the way that I grew up with my mom. I mean, you know, my mom was helping me name feelings before I could talk and he doesn't really have that. So they're, they're, they're kind of brusque individuals. Like his family is all just kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's cool. And, but they do a lot of things together as a family. And I mean, I've never in, in 38 years, funny that we're the same age, um, in 38 years, I don't think I've ever been in the same room as all of my siblings at the same time ever. And like they get together all together as a family all the time. And so his expectations of me as a mother are, I mean, he, he thought that I would be like his mother and I'm not at all like his mother at all. And um, it's, he definitely had expectations where I would be like handling everything around the house and doing all the cooking and the cleaning and, and staying home with the kids and maybe making some art on the side. And I was like, Oh hell no, I want to be the boss. Like I'm not, I never wanted to be a stay at home mom. I was independent. I cooked myself dinner when I was six. So like I, you know, my mom didn't have time or energy to play with us because she worked five part-time jobs and she was on her own. And, you know, like most of my parents didn't play with us. And so he was very used to like hands-on interacting. I mean, he, when he's with the kids, he is with the kids and they are out and they do stuff. And, you know, being, being around kids, especially for me, my whole life, um, especially like between the ages of like three and 10, when kids like they need a lot of your energy interacting with them it drains me like crazy. I mean, a couple of hours with my own kids and I'm like, I need a nap. Like they took it all and I got nothing. Mm. And when I interact with adults, like doing something like this, like I'll have like charged, awesome, pumped energy from this conversation all day long, but like a couple hours talking to my kids and I'm like, I got nothing. Like I'm totally sapped. So it's, it's been really hard for him to like 
understand that his idea of family and my idea of family is really different. And a lot of times he kind of feels like I'm not part of the family in the way that he thought I would be. Um, and it, it, you know, at first, you know, he was feeling hurt by that. And I'm sure that sometimes he still does because it wasn't what he expected, but I've tried to kind of explain to him, like, look, this is, you know, this is the way that I grew up. And, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to be around the same people all the time. And when I was younger, if, you know, if things were getting difficult or people were getting squirrely, I'm like, I'm going to go somewhere else. See you later. Um, and being able to kind of bail on what was happening and go live in a different family for a while, um, was something that I was very used to doing. And, uh, it's, it's hard for me not to be able to do that kind of stuff. Mm. So it's, it's, it's been tricky. I, I just, I started seeing a therapist for myself just to be like, I need to figure out how to not feel guilty because the way that I mother isn't the way that he wanted me or expected me to be a mother. And like he, the way that he is as a dad is exactly how I knew he would be as a dad. And it's why I chose to have kids with him. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really want to have kids until I met him because mm. I was like, I know that I don't want to be that like stereotypical playing on the floor mom. Like it's, it's hard for me to do that. And so I was like, if I'm going to have kids, I need to have kids with someone who's going to be a better parent than me. And he is, you know, and like he, he is what they, they need a lot of the time. And and I'm really glad that when, when I met him, I, re- I remember taking one look at him and I was like, that guy's a dad who has no kids. Like he's already a dad. He just doesn't, you know, like he just needs someone to give him some kids and he's great at it. So, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. And I mean, the, I, I pick up on the word kind of, you know, say, you know, he's a better parent than I am. Like, and for me, it just, it sounds like you, you both bring different pieces to the table, like him modeling that get down, play on the floor, you know, incredible. And you know, it, feel, it feels obvious to me that you're you're also modeling something that your kids couldn't get from their dad. Oh, for so, sure. So you, know, you both bring these incredible gifts to um, to the kind of overall parenting journey. Um, and that's, you know, that feels something just really worthy of celebration. Um, yeah. I, I think that the way that I interact with my kids kind of forces them to be more independent and to figure things out for themselves. And I, you know, whenever my kids ask me a question, I always say, I don't know, what do you think? And I make them think of what they, the answer might be before I just give it to them. And, you know, some people, you know, mom guilt is for sure. It's real. It is a real thing, especially being a working mom. Um, and just being a mom in general in this society, because if you work, then you're a shit mom because you're not 100% devoted to your children. But if you don't work, then you're a shit partner because you're not providing financially toward your household. And that all of the mental labor that women do to keep families running is completely, you know, like the physical labor as well, like, you know, cooking, cleaning, chauffeuring, all that shit. Um, uh, but the mental labor of managing a household, things that Typically women do all of that. And most, most male partners have no idea that all of that is happening, you know, in, in their heads. Um, so it's definitely been tricky as a mom to navigate, you know, running and growing my own company while still trying to be, 
you know, the best mother that I want to be anyway. Um, I definitely can't be like that perfect mom that's making all the Halloween costumes. I'm capable of making them, but like, I'm not gonna, (laughs) I'm not gonna do that all the time. Um, but it's been really interesting kind of navigating that world, but also, um, feeling guilty for the time that I'm not spending with my kids because I'm doing what I love, but I love my work. I mean, I could be working for 15 hours straight and still have energy to do that. But, um, I've tried to really focus on the way that I was raised. And because I had all these other adults who were taking care of me, how many things did I learn how to do that I would not have learned how to do if I only had my two parents around me all the time. And if my kids were only around me all the time and I wasn't running my business, they wouldn't have all these experiences that they have, like spending time with my stepmother who taught me all of those adulting things. And she's super fun. And she plays with them all the time. She takes care of them while I'm working and they have all of, they're going to have all that experience of spending time with their grandparents and spending time with other caregivers who give them that energy and attention and teach them different things that I would never be able to teach them. So my, my oldest you know, when we got up this morning, he crawled into bed and he calls us up next to me and he gives me this huge hug and he goes, you're the best mommy ever. And I was like, well, why do you say that? And he's like, cause you're going to be rich. <laughs> I was like, what? Where did, where did that come from? But he's just like, cause you're the boss. Are, are your, are your 30 people here yet? Are you, uh, you know, is your team of 30 people here yet? You know, and just, you know, that he at five recognizes that I do what I love and that I've made it possible to, in his words, be, be rich and like support our family doing something that brings me so much joy and brings joy to other people around the world. Like there is nothing better than instilling that possibility in my kids when they're young, that they know not only is their mom doing what she loves, but it's possible for them to do that too. And that they really are going to know no other world than a world where it's possible for them to do something that they love that's valuable that helps other people and and that's the, that's the key piece there like you're you provide a model of certain essential elements for your children right mm-hmm. and the you know the your husband provides others uh your stepmom as their step grandma provides others you know and it's that's that's the piece here is that without doubt the quote-unquote traditional nuclear 2.4 children american family like actually that's that's not how healthy child rearing happens, like just in those four walls. Yeah. Um, the and, and that's always that's been something that myself and the mum and my kids like are really like being honest. How can we how can we kind of expose our children to as many kind of you know meaningful, loving adult influences as possible? Um, and it comes back to this piece around nature and nurture. You know, we all come in with certain nature, and therefore we are the thing we are best able to model. Mm-hmm. is that what is that aligned soul purpose and how do we and living that and kind of modeling what that looks like for us and so in you do that with you with papercraft miracles right mm-hmm. um and i'm sure your husband does it in a different way as well so that your kids are hopefully getting my kids as well are getting as many examples of what it means to live kind of lit up by your soul purpose okay so at the end of all of the podcasts i know we kind of um could talk all day long. But at the end of all the podcasts, I ask all the guests the same five questions. Da-da-da, it's five question time. Because um, it's really fun to hear how different people answer the same questions in different ways. So the first question is, tell me about an experience that shaped who you are today. Cool. So I'll, I'll actually pick up on this 
piece around kind of trauma with a small t. Um, when I was about six years old, I was given a camera. I kind of showed some enthusiasm in photography. And as a six-year-old, one of the first things I did actually is take some photos of my then three-year-old sister playing with her vagina. And my dad came out and saw me doing this and like lost his shit at me, basically. Um, and the, you know, that the kind of the look on his face, the anger, like it, it, it literally scarred me. And from this, like I developed a story and a coping mechanism that like it wasn't OK for me to share my gifts, to share my creative gifts. Um, and so what that's meant is I found it so hard to share my creative gifts that I've, I've become an absolute ninja at understanding the process of what it takes. Um, like I really understand it to the bone. And so to now have changed the story around that, to kind of go back and do some of the kind of trauma release work and realize I was a six year old. Like, like this, just to bring back the innocence and the love to that experience. Um, but to know also that it shaped me and mm -hmm. to understand that like, in a profound way, there is massive wealth in our wounds. That was the kind of, so this was the experience for me that allowed me to really embody the understanding that there is wealth in our wounds. Um, and I see it also allowed me to write my book and do a whole host of stuff around helping people to turn their creativity into a career because I, I literally started with this huge burden on my back around the whole issue. So, uh, so that was an, an incident that shaped me for sure. Awesome. That's so interesting. <laughs> Um, I love that wealth in the wounds. Oh man, my editor's going to have fun picking out a title for this show. Uh, okay. So number two, when you feel defeated or overcome, what do you tell yourself to keep going? When I feel defeated or overcome, what do I tell myself to keep going? So this is where I feel very lucky. Um, and so I guess a lot of your listeners may be, you know, in, in the US, you know, very grounded in the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, this transcends like any kind of label that we might have for the divine in our lives. Um, around 23, I had a really profound kind of spiritual awakening, like an experience of just the most incredible divine love, like coursing through my body for about four hours. And so anytime I feel kind of defeated, you know, want to give up, um, like in those moments, I come back to that love. I come back to knowing that like my kind of sole mission is to, but the big mission, like the big picture is to be a source of love in this world. Um, and to know that if I'm feeling defeated, even to be able to send out love into the world and send love to myself at that point, mm -hmm. like that is on, I'm, I'm living on purpose. Um, and that in itself is a shift because I can then be grateful for the fact that I get to exist at all, right? Um, like I feel defeated, amazing. Like I'm feeling defeated. So it can kick that gratitude in to come back to um, just this incredible love that I feel blessed to experience. Um, so, yeah. I love it. It's so nice. <laughs> okay, number three. Tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it. How did I overcome a failure or a mistake and what did I learn from it? So I'll go right back to when I was about maybe nine or 10 years old. Um, actually, maybe not. Get, let's go, I'll be more 12, 13 at this point. I got to be like um, the main part in a school play, um, which was like Midsummer Night's Dream. I was playing Bottom, the guy, I don't know if you know the story with it. He gets turned into a donkey, basically. Um, and I forgot my lines. Like I was making this big speech to the entire like stage at, at the entire audience, forgot my lines. And I was like, 
oh my god I've got my lines like but I kind of did it in character and uh and so everyone laughed along thinking I would meant to do it because in this point in the play I was performing a play in a play um mm -hmm. and what this kind of really taught me this setback was in the end someone gave me a line and I carried on but uh, afterwards everyone was like oh I thought you meant to do it they thought I was like fully improvising in character mm -hmm. and so I realized that like a mistake is only as bad as I think it is this was a really big piece for me is like to then own like if I'm like if I'm making a mistake let me just own this mistake and trust that even if it's a mistake I will get something out the other side so there's something about really like just being bold with life that's the, that's the big piece here is like I experienced this setback and the lesson I learned from it was be bold with life um, because very rarely will you go wrong if if that's the approach is my opinion yeah exactly you know it's like as, as far as performance poetry too it's like the audience only knows that you forgot your poem if you'd be like oh wait sorry i fucked up in the middle yes. of it but if you it's just keep 100%. like talking shit no one will ever know yeah exactly that 100 percent. and particularly like that's definitely something i've embodied more recently it'd be like just totally bring in a verse from another poem that's just suddenly somehow exactly. there like, like no one no yeah. one will ever know that it wasn't meant to be there because it's your work it's great you know as they say fake it till, fake it till you make it at some point uh okay so number four what one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track um i would say what, what one trait I have is again is this capacity to like connect with something greater than myself um to know that you know my best poems my you know aspects of my book the work that i do with students like in the best moments, I am simply a vessel to like to the, to be empty and allow the divine to flow through me. Um, that's um, that's my kind of best trait is to is to know that that process exists. Like mm -hmm. I don't always do it, and I'm not always humble enough. But in when life is really aligned, fully aligned with soul, that's kind of soul purpose we've spoken about. That's the habit um, is allowing myself to be a vessel rather than thinking I have to do anything. I love that. Okay, number five, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and what advice would you give to other people? So one of my mentors who was, yeah, he was very grounded in the Christian tradition. Um, he would always share with me the story of uh, Jesus going out fishing and uh, the disciples haven't caught anything. And he's like, oh, just, you know, just chuck the net over the other side of the boat and they haul in this huge, great catch. So he would always say to me, like the resources you need are right under the boat. Um, and from that, I've always taken this just actually deep understanding, this deep knowing that when I am aligned with my sole purpose, when I'm living that purpose, opportunities, and you are very much experiencing this right now with uh, having to take on this crazy number of staff and things, like the resources you need are right under the boat. The opportunities are there for you. And I, when I look back on my life, uh, I see my consistent commitment to do something I love, to take a step towards my inspiration. I see that everything I've ever done stacks up to help me do it brilliantly. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely that piece that the resources I need are right under the boat. Oh, I love this show. I'm really curious. When is your birthday? My birthday is the 26th of March, which uh, places me about five or six days into Aries, if that means anything. It's funny because I'm a Taurus, but we're the same age. So it's just interesting to be like, you know, we're beginning and the end of the spring kind of. I, I do feel like the 1982 like intake of souls was a special one. 
Oh yeah. I say that, I say yeah. that genuinely. Like at my school, both of my schools, like my like junior school and my senior school, both had in my year a record number of prefects. Um, so I feel like I do feel like without wanting to big myself and us up too much, I feel like the 1982 intake of souls was a special one. Yeah, it was kind of like right in that that little sweet spot in between like Generation X and the Millennials, like that Xenial. That, that group of us where like when we were kids there was no internet but we still knew enough about it as like like high school and, and yeah. college to to do that but we we were like the last generation to really go to college before there was smartphones yeah yeah absolutely i, yeah. I, I, I feel like I, I really feel like we are a bridge generation you know we had that kind of analog non-digital childhood and then we've had this digital adulthood and we can therefore i feel like bridge those like bridge the generations and it feels like a really sacred role yeah, like those those five years, you know, like seventy eight to eighty three, like right in there. That's like that sweet spot before, like it got too digital or or not digital enough. Like it's yeah, just yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. It's a cool place to be from. <laughs> um, so those are all my questions, and I was wondering if you would do a poem for us at the end. Nice. Um, so, like, so give, give me a sense. Would you like there's something kind of earth based, something more like kind of spiritual based? What are you What are you thinking? Would you like? Whatever you're feeling most good about. All right, nice. So we've been talking about this kind of, uh, we've been speaking about trauma, adulting, like, and for me, facing our darkness is a big piece in that. Um, so this is called uh, The Mountain. You see, I struggled all my life to try and find a place I'd fit. It's like I'd near the mountain top and then I'd stumble and I'd trip. Giving just a fraction of the life I held inside, it felt like every time I came up short, part of me had died. No shame to say I cried, searching for the cause. Certain I was burdened with innumerable flaws where the more I tried to grow, the more it seemed my progress slowed. And the more it seemed I'd never have a chance to find my flow. So my focus had to shift, finding ways to use my gifts and ways to face the darkness where I knew would lie the shift. Because if all you're ever looking for is a light to guide the way, that ignores the basic truth that night must follow day. And the path I had to take became so crystal freaking clear because I could see that every day I was just running from my fear, running from myself, running from my heart, running from a greater game, yet I longed to play my part. And my start, it came when I found a way to face my greatest shame and find a source of awesome power where there once was only pain. I'd kept it all at bay with self-hatred and abuse, but no more could I hide away, ignore the simple truth. I am not useless, bad or evil or worse than other people. I'm good. I'm kind. My talents, they are needed. You are good. You are kind. Your talents, they are needed. So be true to who you are and never see your spirit beaten by heathens who would keep us all chained in limitation. They fear originality, so sell us imitation, making profits and a prison from the fear that they're creating and rage among the peoples of the lands that they're invading. But wait, before you raise your voice in anger and in blame, Take a moment to consider where their actions are the same as those that you're displaying while you're living day to day. It's only by forgiveness that we find a better way. You see, the hate that's perpetrated by people and planet, that's a safety mechanism to prevent us from the damage that we fear would happen to us if we ever looked inside. But the ancient ones would tell us that's the only way to thrive. So find your inner warrior. Get ready for the quest. Our moment has arrived and we have to pass this test any less. And it's certain that we'll see ourselves condemned to live the brutal misery of the human stories end. But my friend, 
Don't you agree we can be so much more than gender inequality and corporate-sponsored war, more than FGM, more than human trafficking, more than overfishing and rainforest flattening, more than a biased media that keeps us separated with half the world starving while half the food is wasted? And I say this not to shame you or raise myself above. I say this because I know that we can find a way of love. A way where you and I can find a higher plane of being where the violence that has plagued us is no longer what we're seeing. But for that, we must be freeing our creativity. And of course, our compassion, because the acts of villainy that so far we've endured will not be cured by more hate, but by sowing seeds whose fruit will prove that our love was not in vain, that the pain has all been worth it and the hate that we've been cursed with is emerging as a servant to help us in the birthing of an earth where every race, every color, every creed is free to pursue their passions and receive the things they need. And if you believe in that world, hold its beauty in your heart and do the one thing that for you today is the perfect way to start. If you believe in that world, hold its beauty in your heart and do the one thing that for you today is the perfect way to start. Dude, what? Oh my God, I love it. I love it. It's so good. Oh man, I hope that people like clap at their podcast when they listen to this. That's <laughs> so good. So good. We definitely need to have like more poet ciphers. We need to do that for sure. Um, I want to do a poem too, but I got to find it. It's called The Freedom Within. Mm. You're flushing like a Russian, but why you fussing about nothing? It ain't no bother like my father. It just keeps getting hotter, feeling hardcore flow. It's rising up in my body. Got me spewing the fattest flow on either side. The Mississippi gives me all the power that I ever need to get me getting betting only that these words give me a chance for hope to set in. And it's heaven having all the shit I need. And then even a little more score. Be glad the things you got aren't things you purchase at the store for an inflated price like you were at stores war who just can't help but think less and buy more. So be happy that you didn't get the things you didn't want. You got a lot to live for and don't think that you don't. Don't ever tell yourself that you and your life ain't worth it. Worse it that you could ever want to end your life. You don't deserve it. And learn that life's its own present in itself because everything you need to be full of, the greatest wealth is all inside of me. You see, the only way to think to be opened up and feeling free is the only way to be like me. Because I'm alive and I could smile. I have wonder like a child and I've been having more fun than I've had in quite a while. Because it's funny that the smallest change in your frame of mind can bring you all those answers that you've been aching to find. And you feel it deep inside when you open up your mind and your heart and your lungs and your feet with the beat. Because baby, all you got to do is see how you're lucky of how you got some shoes and coat and roof over your head. And how you got someone who'd notice if you turned up dead. And you could teach yourself like you should all along this message that I'm spreading with this little song. It's long. I just want to tell you that it's all deep inside. So find it for yourself. It's where the freedom does reside. And it's the freedom within, baby. You don't got to buy it. Try it. Take a deep breath in and say, fuck yeah, I'm alive. And I can breathe and even see the fucking leaves upon the trees. And if you can't, I'm sorry. You had to be my example, please, please. Because I'm not trying to hurt anybody's life. But I just have to try to put some faith behind the eyes of this current generation. And this nation is disgracing for people who have a darker color of their face and their race and a whole other section of the planet. We're on our own soil. I lost stuff in a panic because we were destroying all that we were supposed to be. But we're coming down from the top because we blew them up.
up with no mercy. And it hurts me that seeing on our streets and our TV is everything that I hate to be. So go out there and register to vote, man, if you can, so you can make a difference with your vote and take a stand and write or call the Congress office. Voice concerns about the promise of a better nation. Big changes are upon us. We got to take control because if not, we are gone. And we got to take control right from the foundation and make them enforce these laws that were placed in a long ass time ago in a new nation that was struggling to be free from religious desecration. And we see in the cycle just go on and on in the same way that I just go on in this song. So I'll shut my face now so we'll have some time to think and collect on what I said in my rhyme. And we'll have some freedom like it's supposed to go, yo. And we better keep it real. No, we'd be going toe to toe because damn, this white girl can flow. Mm, she can. <laughs> 100% she can. That's the old version. That's the old version. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I am super pumped that this is going to get to come out in a couple of weeks. So can you tell everyone where they can find you on the interwebs? 100%. 100%. Um, so you can check out the Sovereign Human Show. Uh, so that is uh, my kind of radio show and podcast. Um, and if you kind of like to see a bit more about what I'm up to uh, and get a copy of my book, which is called Creative Uprising, How to Make a Living and Make a Difference Doing What You Love, you can just go to georgehardwick.net. Georgehardwick.net. Spelled exactly as it sounds. Perfect. Well, there'll be links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, and if you love this show, please review us on iTunes. Give us the subscribe and the thumbs up on the YouTube. Uh, share it with your friends and family. And if you really want um, to continue helping me to pay the editor who edits the episodes now, um, if you want to become a patron on our Patreon, real life show. Uh, but yes, yeah, so if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash reach the stars and uh, you can support the show financially and, and be my be my friend on there. Become a patron. You get to watch the bloopers. You get to have the show come and you get to see it earlier than everybody else. And, and you get to know that you're making this magical, magical thing happen to share all these amazing people and conversations with the world. So thank you so much, George. I am totally looking forward to like doing a part two of this and many, many other poetry ciphers. And I cannot wait to hear more of your poems. Amazing. Lots of love. Go well. Awesome. Bye. A single interaction has the power to change your life forever. This is a place for the stories of those moments. Stories of pursuing dreams, overcoming tragedy and failure, of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying, of continuing on with only a vision as a map. This is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be forever changed too. you for being with us on the reach the stars podcast our theme music is generously provided by byrocratic you can find him on bandcamp.com thank you to all of our current patrons guests and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality we are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you if you love this podcast please consider sharing with a friend leaving a review on itunes and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the videos of these conversations. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it.